Anyway, uh, where are we going to start this? So let's start it here. Um, we've been doing a series. You can see Engage, Connect, Serve. Engage, Connect, Serve. We have our banners. We engage God in worship, and we engage the lost in evangelism. We connect around God's word for growth and fellowship. We spent six weeks going through just those two. We still have three more, and today we're going to look at serve. And, uh, well, let's do a quick overview of Romans before we get into that. But serving will be the next three sermons in the series. So chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 through chapter 3 of the book of Romans is all about that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Jews, the Greeks, barbarics, they all have sinned. Something that the Israelites had trouble understanding because they had the Torah, they had the law, and they thought that they were good. But Paul in Romans masterfully uh, lays it out in the first three chapters. So that's the sin problem. Everybody is guilty. So there has to be a solution, and the remedy for that sin is in chapters 4 through 8, where Paul says that we are justified by faith. And then he points all the way back to Abraham, the father of faith, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, when God tells Abraham to get out and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham did that. Paul said that was accredited to him as righteousness. And therefore, when we trust in Christ, we've experienced, in some sense, the faith of Abraham. And that's why we call him the father of our faith. Chapters 9 and through 11 basically deal with the restoration, future restoration of Israel. And then we get into chapter 12 through 16, which is where we're looking today. And we find that it's more practical. So if you want to look at it this way, from chapter 1 to chapter 11 is all theological. And then Paul says, okay, let's take all this theology. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm having, <clears throat> having sinus issues this morning. But <clears throat> So Paul's saying here, he's laid out this great masterwork here. And then he goes, okay, we're going to have to apply this to our lives. And really, this is the bedrock. I think, of what it means to serve. One thing to remind ourselves this morning is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. That needs to really be settled as we begin our Christian walk, that we have to be reminded daily that our lives are not our own, they belong to him. And, and we're going to see it here as Paul outlines it. Actually, the next two sermons today and next week will come from this section of Scripture. Living sacrifices. There's a lot here. I'm going to start my sermon clock now so I know when an hour's up. So. First thing we're going to look at is we surrender to Christ. We surrender to Christ and look at the motivation. Now, Paul starts this practical section I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And this is an urgent appeal. This is um, something that Paul wants them to take seriously. So he's, he's urging them. Now, the motivation lies 
in the fact of the mercies of God. Or termos, the tender, compassionate acts of God towards the world. That is the motivation by which we live our Christian lives. Because we've all been benefactors of God's mercy, have we not? God has been merciful to us. And when we look at just the basics of the Christian faith, the mercies of God include the cross, where Jesus went to the cross, paid for our sin in full, so that we have the opportunity to come into a relationship with God. And so the mercies start at the foot of the cross, I believe. Secondly, forgiveness. Your sins are totally forgiven. That's the only way that you could possibly get into heaven as if you were perfectly clean. And when Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sin. And he died on the cross saying, it is finished. What he meant was, I have paid the wrath for you. Paul says in Romans, the wrath of God was poured out on him on our behalf. And so when we think about, as we live our Christian lives, we think about just those two facts of God's mercy should motivate us. It should drive us as we live our Christian lives. A third thing, eternal life. Every believer, that's us, all of us that have trusted in Christ, we have eternal life promised. Peter says it in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, you have a place reserved for you in heaven that is kept. It is secure. And you never lose that. Hence, when you trust in Christ, you are eternally secure. And I, I've heard people that believe you can lose your salvation. Uh, and they say that you have to repent every day. And Paul says in Galatians, draw back from Galatians, he says that if you do that, you're putting Christ to an open shame because every time you repent for salvation, you have to put Christ back on the cross and open it up to shame. And Paul says you can't do that. So in Paul's theology and his understanding, you can only be saved as many times as Christ died. Christ died once, therefore you can only be saved one time. Now when that happens, only you and God know. I know when it, when it happened for me that day when that chaplain led me in the sinner's prayer, not that the sinner's prayer saved me, but it led me to the place where I could trust in Christ. And so, yeah, eternal life. But then daily, God gives us his mercies daily. So <clears throat> as we think about living sacrifices, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then we get into the actual application of what he just talked about with the mercies of God. And uh, orktermos is that word for mercy, and that really refers to the tender compassion of God. So when you think about what we're getting ready to look at, think about that as I live my life, I want to live my life in the remembrance of God's mercies. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a motivation by which we can go forward in our lives. Now, the mandate, the mandate is so difficult. Uh, I read so many commentaries this week on these verses, and uh, kind of amazing how there's, there's this wide variety of, of views here, uh, even among scholars that I trust. So 
Usually when that happens, I take the middle road in what God's telling me to do, so I'm giving you the middle road. Now this mandate <clears throat> to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So obviously this looks like a sacrificial system when Paul's talking about present your bodies. Uh, the word present me in the Greek, and it means to make something available to someone. So when we present, we are actually presenting our lives to God. It has to be something that is presented to God. Now when we look at this, and again, good scholars disagreed on all this, but when we talk about the, the order of sacrifices, it was a sin offering, you had to do it. Uh, a trespass offering, you had to do it. Peace and meat offering was voluntary. When you get into the, to the levels of the sacrifices, uh, you can see that the priest would offer an ox. Uh, the whole congregation would give an ox. A king or a prince would give a goat. Um, the common people would be a she-goat or a ewe, and poor people would give turtle doves, and the very poor, I always think about the widow who gave her might, would give an ephah of flour, fine flour. So this is the issue. The issue is, as we're talking about living sacrifices, Paul says here, that you present your bodies. And the word body, which is used in a simple case, the soma, literally means physical body. However, however, presenting our bodies is not quite enough. And you should take care of your body, you should eat right, you should exercise, all of that stuff. But Paul has to mean something more here. That you present your bodies. This is the flesh, the sarks. This is the part that is not redeemed. And yet Paul says here, I want you to give your bodies to the Lord. Now there's several thoughts, and I'm going to give you several of them. First of all, animal sacrifices were killed in the process of the sacrifice. Here Paul says, I want you to give a living sacrifice. Then there's those on the other side of the fence that say, well, animals were very much alive before they were dead. And those who see it that way say that you give yourselves and you die for Christ. Or they say that you need to give everything and God kills you. And I don't think either one of those are right. Here's, here's, here's where I'm driving at with this. Christ was already slain for our sins. He lives forever, as the writer of Hebrews says, our high priest that lives to make intercession for us. So Paul's not talking here specifically about giving our bodies. Christ has already paid for our sin in full. So there needs to be another way to interpret when Paul says, present your bodies, to offer your bodies. And I think Douglas Moo, one of my favorite theologians, and as I went back and I looked at these words, 
so close. Uh, Douglas Moo gave a really good quote. Body can, of course, refer to the physical body as such, and the metaphorical um, associations with the sacrifice make it an appropriate choice here. But, and I agree with this, probably intends to refer to the entire person with the emphasis on that person's interaction with the world. Because in verse 2 it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is, I think, he's, I think Douglas Moose correct here, when, when he says, offer your bodies to God, he's saying, give everything to him. So it really starts there. You can't get very far in your Christian life if you haven't surrendered to him. And you have to be willing to present that, to offer it to him. And that means we have to lay down stuff. And it, 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 it's, I get it. it, it is a fight every day that we live. It is a fight because this world pushes so hard against us. And so this is not an easy thing to do. I'm not preaching some pie-in-the-sky idea. This is the Apostle Paul saying, you have to do this. And in, within the, the nuance of the language, it is in a present tense, which means it's something that must be done every day and actually every waking hour. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, none of us are quite there. It's something that we have to fight with daily. Oh boy, when you think about, yeah, this world, it really is a mess right now. So he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And this uh, thusia, this sacrifice, is an offering. You are, you and I are a perpetual offering to God. Sometimes it doesn't look pretty, does it? I mean, we don't always have our A game. And there's times when we don't even bring our D game. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this. God is merciful, and God is a God of grace. And he already knows that we're going to struggle and stumble and fall and sin. And you know what? He still sent Christ to die for us. So I want us all to aim high. Even though we realize at times in our lives, we're going to fall. But Paul says you need to do this, a sacrifice. Holy, hagios, which is the sense of being morally pure. So much in our world today, so much in our world today. You can't even watch television without some godless commercial coming on reminding you that our world is lost. I told some guy the other day on a social platform uh, when they're, they're showing these videos of people being beaten. You guys probably don't see this, but I see it a lot. And I go, I do not need to be reminded every day that our world is sick. I know it's sick. And I had a tons of responses to that. The problem with the world can be solved by the cross. And that is the only way that's going to take place. 
And he says, and, and as believers, we are to navigate, somehow navigate this life in the, in, in, in the sense of moral purity. And that's difficult to do. That's difficult to do. It's tough. I, one of my favorite uh, Bible verses, I like the story of Moses when he, God calls Moses and he gets close to the bush and he says, Moses, remove your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And in a sense, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are on holy ground every day. We are churches within ourselves. Paul talks about in Corinthians about uh, his body is in a tent. Uh, metaphorically, Paul's saying that when he folds that tent up, he goes to be with Christ in, in heaven. So when we're talking about this, we can also talk about 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy, for I am holy. We have a tendency to think that this holiness is only the Old Testament stuff. Uh, if you look at it, Leviticus 11:44, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourself, which is actually uh, be set apart, which would be our New Testament version. Be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19:2, be holy, for the Lord your God am holy. In uh, Leviticus 27, be holy, for I am the Lord your God contained in Peter when he writes, listen to this, this, this is important, in uh, 1 Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. The apostle Paul here wants us to understand that this is played out on a world stage. I'm on a stage this morning preaching to you before people. When you leave the doors today and you go out into the highways and byways of life, you are on a stage. And we have to try to navigate. And again, please understand, I, I know it's difficult. Because there's so much in this world to drag us down and to pull us apart. And you know, we're perplexed and crushed, but we're not overtaken. I can tell you that. Acceptable to God, and that basically means pleasing, which is your spiritual worship. Listen to this. This is pretty awesome. Maybe it'll change the way that you think about your life going forward. Listen to this. Logios is the word for spiritual. Latreia is the word for worship. When you put those two words together, when you put those two words together, you get this. Genuine ministry to Theos. So let me say that again. These two words convey the idea of gen, uh, genuine service or ministry to God. So when you're out there, what you do and how you act should reflect your relationship to him. Whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. Y'all know that. You guys and gals know that. 
But this is really not about church in a sense. This is just where you get pumped up to go out into the world and live your Christian life. But it's about our everyday life. And it's so difficult. So that's the first part. We have to surrender to him. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable worship. The second part of that, you see why Paul wrote that, right? Because if that's not dealt with, if that issue is not dealt with, it's very difficult to do the next thing. And that is to separate from the world. Now, we can't be like monks. Um, monks' knee-jerk reaction was to separate themselves from the world, have nothing, no contact with them. They devoted them, their lives to Christ and secrecy, which uh, some things monks did that was okay. Most of it was not because you have to live in this world and you have to be able to deal with people and to navigate and, and to share the gospel of the good news of Christ. But Paul says this transformation, do not, is an imperative in the Greek language. So in the first one, he says, I urge you, that was an imperative. And now he gives a negation where he says, I don't want you to do this. This is, this is uh, I, I do not want you to do this. And what Paul doesn't want us to do, and you think about their culture. They had gods, goddesses. They had the sun god, the moon god, uh, agricultural god. Uh, any god you could possibly think of, they had it. And, and if you look at the inscriptions of all these gods, and so they were just as pagan as our culture. Was just, now we're, a, we're able to see it on television. Uh, but so anyway, when, when Paul wrote this, he said, I don't want you to be conformed to this world. This word conform means to form or to mold one's behavior. I'm reading just from the Greek. To form or mold one's behavior in accordance, listen to this, with a particular pattern or set of standards. He gives the word ion for world, which refers to the world system. So here's the issue. The issue is Paul says, I don't want you to live like the world. I don't want you. How does the world live? How, how does it live? Well, I'll tell you how it lives. It lives without Christ. But to give you just four, four examples... Money. People want money. And so they get fixated on it. This is all about wanting more stuff. This is the world. This is how the world lives. A second thing, how about power? Seems like Jesus was tempted with that once. If you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Jesus knew better. CEOs. 
stepping on people to get to the top. Doing whatever you can to make the other guy look bad so that you can get in a better position. That's the world. That's the world we live. I saw a lot of that when I was in the Army. Thankfully, I'm not there now with that. But, uh, you know, that's the world you guys and gals live in. People want to up one, up the other person. They want to be in a position of power. Here's another one. Fame. I want to be famous. I want people to like me. I, for the most part, I, I can't remember the last time I went to the movies because, just saying it, Hollywood is so corrupt today. Uh, this is, when I saw, I, I did see this, it was a few years ago where Kathy Griffin, uh, this comedian who is, really needs Jesus badly, she said, this is my God, and she held up this trophy. That's the world. That's what we live in. And I haven't seen the Grammys or any of it, but the world stage. I want to be famous. And then the, the last one, I think, and Satan will tempt us with all of this. I want to be popular, particularly you young kids. I want to be popular in school. So I'm going to do something that I wouldn't normally do to be popular. You don't need to be popular. You need to follow Christ. And that's not going to be popular. How about this one? On a big house, status. So I've hit kind of four areas. There's other ones that I can't say, stay, uh, say from here. But this is the world in which we live. And uh, a lot of this stuff, you, you, you want to say to people, you know, that stuff is going to fade away. Back years ago when I was at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Audrey had uh, taken a position with a family, actually. You look at their house, and it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful house. They had nice cars. But Audrey was taking care of a man who had ALS. The wife had cancer. So you're thinking all the stuff in the world, the most important thing is taking place on the inside of the house. Don't get caught in the trap of thinking, I've got to have this stuff. Let me remind us all this morning, none of us are like, that doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Don't let the nice things have you. That's the issue. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Start from there. And it's sad, and we all know it, we see it. But he says here, do not be conformed to the world. So we need to get, we need to get off that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Metamorpho. It sounds like metamorphosis, which really it is from the English. Um, in several languages, metamorphia in Romans 12 may mean 
this is from the Greek-English uh, lexicon. Become completely different or become different from what you are. I would probably go with the first one, become completely different. So in other words, you look at how the world acts. You go, you know what? I'm not going to focus on this. I'm not going to make it my life journey to focus on getting ahead at any cost, at, at getting a bigger house. At, at, I, I'm not going to focus on that. What I'm going to do is separate from the worldly possessions. And let me say this. doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Most of us in this room are never going to own a mansion. I get that. But we can still be tempted. And we have to be careful with it and, and say, you know what, God? Um, this is my life, and I want you to protect me from this stuff. To be transformed means to become completely different. And that's the goal of the Christian life. I don't know. Um, I don't know the moment of salvation for anyone. But what I do know is this, and I believe once saved, always saved. You all know it. I, I preach it. It's in my heart. It's in my gut. It's in my life. But before you can get to once saved, always saved, you have to be saved. And what I do know is that if a person claims to be saved, but there's no evidence of salvation in their life, it's a question mark. It's a question mark. This battle is going to be the renewal of the mind. In other words, I could rephrase this, this renewal of your mind is paraphrase a new way of thinking. So Paul says, I, I don't want you to think like the world thinks. Money, power, prestige, fame. Anything else that could possibly, don't think about that. What I want you to do is I want you to think this way. And that, that takes a challenge for us. We have to look at a new way of thinking. And by the way, pretty much everything you need to know is right here. Um, <clears throat> C.B. Cranfield <clears throat> wrote this, and it is by the renewing of your mind that this transformation is effected. It is as the Holy Spirit renews the fallen mind, loosening the bonds of its narcissism, that a man's whole life is transformed. In a sense, the living sacrifice is one that is surrendered, one that uh, the Holy Spirit interacts with us. Paul says in Romans that his spirit adopts our spirit, proves that we're children of God, and from that point on, the fight is against what we see in the world and what we know God wants us to do. Sometimes we go over here when we should be over here. But we've got to watch our minds so that we can follow him the way we are designed to. That 
that's loaded. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So uh, there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. And then in closing, we look at testing. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Dokimazo, I love that. Dokimazo. That means to test for the genuineness, genuineness of something. Jewelers will look at a diamond, and they, they sometimes where they wear these goggles where they can really see if that diamond is pure. Sometimes people think that their diamond is worth something when they take it to a jeweler. The jeweler examines it and goes, it's only one carat or, or whatever it is. Um, Paul says here that we need to examine this. We need to see if something is genuine. Uh, and, and by genuine, I'm assuming that the Apostle Paul means the things of God. So anytime we have a question as to whether something is of God or not, we can go here and we can look and find it. And most of you know this. I mean, I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, that you may discern the will of God. And the will of God refers to the desires of God. What God desires for us. I've said this and I, and I believe it. We basically know the will of God. In a great area. Everybody in here knows the will of God is that you read your Bible, that you evangelize, that you love people, that you guard the unity of the church, that you tithe, that you give, that you serve, that you uh, uh, seek wise counsel. All of these things. I mean, I could, I, we could go through, and I bet you right here, if we spent 10 minutes, we could come up with 50 things that we know is the will of God. What's hard to do is to do it perfectly all the time. And you're not going to do it. But I'm encouraging you to try it, to try to do it. We do know that God wants us to live for him in this world. What is acceptable, excuse me, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Paul says. Robert Mounts, <clears throat> another theologian that I love, said this. We will find that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. It is good because it brings about moral and spiritual growth. It is pleasing to God because it is an expression of his nature. It is perfect in that no one could possibly improve on what God desires to happen. When we think about this today, <clears throat> serving begins with surrender. You just have to say, okay, God, this is my life. I want to surrender it to you. And there are times in our lives, all of our lives, when maybe we need to rededicate. been a lot of times that I've passed churches, seen people come forward, 
Maybe think of rededicating. Maybe that's what need. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm putting that out there. Maybe you don't need to rededicate. That's fine. Serving means offering God our best, not our leftovers. So this church is great in regards to that. Serving involves cutting ties with the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And so we have to tough balance. It's a tough balancing act. Focus on serving and pleasing 